Oh my God, we're alive. We're here talking about Christmas gift selections for 2020. No, just kidding. Mm -hmm. Anyways, welcome everybody. <laughs> we're going to do some quick introductions as we normally do. This is kind of the pre-show to the show and we're going to wait backwards. I'm going to start with Jay. So where are you calling in from and what are you going to talk about today? Hi, Ray. Uh, Jay Jacobs calling in from Tiburon, California. Uh, I work at Global X ETF. So we're going to be talking about some of the disruptive trends that we saw in 2020 and how those might continue into 2021, hopefully in a post-pandemic world. What are the lessons we learned from this year and how might they perpetuate going forward? No, it's going to be awesome. Chantel, where are you calling in from and what are you talking about? Hi, everyone. Chantel Bayer here calling in from Los Angeles. And today I'm going to be talking about my company, Four Space, and all of the cool things that have been happening in the space industry and how you can get involved. What a landmark year for space exploration and space in general. All right, Mark, where are you calling in from and what are you talking about? So I'm calling in right next door from Jay in Mill Valley, California. And I'm talking about how we disrupted human resources by making a shift to employee experience um, at Airbnb. Not only did they disrupt the way people were traveling, but we also disrupted the way people were um, dealing with and supporting their employees. Most people don't know who Airbnb is, even though Blockbuster IPO and uh, you know being everywhere and disrupting the entire hospitality market. So no, this is awesome. It's also having you. Welcome everybody. <laughs> so no, but welcome everybody. I'm I'm Ray Wong, uh, one of the co-founders and co-hosts here of Disrupt TV. We're joined here by L, our awesome producer, and Vala Ashar, of course. Uh, and we'll do the official introductions as we start the show, the last show of the year. This show is sponsored by Robots and Pencils. Please check them out if you're doing digital transformation, doing design work. Uh, they're a wonderful firm and uh, one of our sponsors. So, so with that, Vala, I'll let you do the honors. Great. Well, three. All right. Two, one. Boom. <laughs> Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show and send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guest your questions live, and we'll do our best to answer them by using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, and he's working on his new book coming out next year. He's regularly on television, business, and technology news almost daily. I see him on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm joined with my awesome co-host, co-founder, and chief digital evangelist at Salesforce, Paul Ashar. Um, he's probably one of the top speakers in the world. He's in business TV himself as well. But more importantly, we follow him on Twitter and we follow him on ZDNet for his inspirational work, talking about what's happening, what's next, and always the positivity. Followed top by top CEOs, CIOs, and CMOs everywhere. But that's not about us. We're talking about cruise ships. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking about some of our awesome guests today. And more importantly, uh, who do we have here first today? We're, we're talking to one of the industry's uh, unbelievable disruptors, uh, Mark Levy, employee experience advisor, pioneer of experience uh, leadership at Airbnb. Mark is a seasoned globally, uh, globally minded employee experience leader who has chosen to work for big hearted companies and focus on how he and his team can unleash the talent and passion of companies employees. Early in his career, Mark worked with likes of Best Buy, uh, Levi Strauss, uh, Gap, partnering with business leaders to support their HR needs, including innovative ways to create a learning organization to ensure integration between work and life. Mark was a pioneer of designing the employee experience at Airbnb. This is an amazing story, which has since created significant changes in the way organizations globally are looking at expanding the HR function to focus on the entire employee journey. Glassdoor recognized Mark and his team's work by naming them the number one place to work in 2016. Mark has taken his learning to advise companies from startups to large global brands on how to evolve from HR to employee experience. You can follow Mark on Twitter and learn about all his incredible work at Levy Mark J, L-E-V-Y-M-A-R-K-J. Welcome, Mark, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Fallon. Thanks, Ray. 
Hey, we're so excited to have you. There's not a single person on earth that does not know who Airbnb is. You guys are sitting at almost 95 billion in market cap, but it's not about that story. We're going to talk about a different story today, really talking about what's happening with employee experience, how you transformed and how the company's transformed as well in terms of that employee experience journey. So let's start with you. Like what happened? How did it start? Set the stage. I mean, you guys started in 2008 and uh, you guys have grown significantly since. Yeah, so I was um, I was hired in late 2013, and Brian Chesky had just put out a media market article that basically said the way to win is to not fuck up the culture. And so in my interviews, basically that's what he focused on. And and as we got closer and closer to a job offer, he basically said that HR is, but thing I've heard about it, I don't necessarily like. So how about if you think about it in a completely different way? He introduced me to people all around the company who were dealing with the employees, but reporting into many different parts and said, how do you bring them together and how do you turn this into something really special? And how do you make sure that as we scale the company, you scale the culture? And so through conversation with him, we essentially uh, came up with this idea to call it employee experience. I, I said, you know, you have this customer experience team that's focused on your customers why wouldn't we have a team that's focused on our employees? And if we set the employees up for success to focus on the customers for us, our hosts and guests, then more than likely we'll end up delivering on our promise uh, uh, and our mission. That's kind of how it started. No, it's a great story. That's it's awesome. amazing. It's amazing because uh, when you look at the, like the ratio of your clients, Airbnb customers and hosts and the employees, it was like millions to few. Yeah. Uh, so you were you you were really developing a framework to to scale with like because and you're on a rocket ship um, and it was really growth mindset. It's growing the employees. You, you know, an average age of a bunch of thirty year olds or young twenties, and yep. they care about their career. They care about growth. So it wasn't just forget about HR and renaming it to something else. Right. You were designing for growth with the employee at the center. Amazing. Uh, Talk a little bit about designing for growth. Sure, yeah. It's interesting because um, the strategy we put into place was called growth by design. And we looked at growth of the company, growth of the employee, and, and then growth of the culture. And it was all about how can we do that in a very intentional way. One of the things that Brian, Joe, and Nate did, Nate did really well was before they had their first employee, they said, what kind of company do we want to build? What kind of culture do we want to have? And they were maniacal about that from day one to when I got there about 600 employees all the way until now and the way they've handled the IPO and the alumni and all of that. And you know, I think the real focus was on how do you have a very meaningful mission and how do you hire and and get the right people in, not because they're mercenaries, not because it's a cool company to work or you might make a lot of money, but because you believe in the mission. And so we hired people who wanted to help people find local and authentic experiences when they traveled. And we hired people who wanted to empower get, uh, hosts to be micro entrepreneurs. And, and in the final stages of the interview process, the hiring manager would select the person for technical functional skills and then there was a core values interview team. Now it's probably as many as three or 400 people who were outside of the function that the employee was being hired into, who didn't see the candidate's resume or CV, and were only asking questions relative to whether or not they were joining for the right reason and they were gonna further the four company values. That is a great point. I mean, you guys have talked a lot about culture. One of our guests, uh, you know, is actually posting a comment, you know, that you've been talking about keeping the company culture for quite some time, right? And when we think about this, you know, I mean, this concept of employee experience, I mean, it's changing over the years, right? Especially given what's going on with this year's events, what's happening with remote work. How do you keep that culture as well, given the fact that you guys were very in an office kind of culture from what I remember? Yeah. So. yeah, well, so a little bit about employee experience and essentially what it was, was kind of a mindset, a way of working and org structure. Um, the org structure was just creating a greater remit for HR. So it included things like food, facilities, safety, security, environments, mission and values, employing um, experiences, 
um, employee events, recognition, celebration, and social impact. So a lot broader um, of a remit. But the most important thing was the shift in mindset, which was to do things with and for your employees, not to them. And how did you create how do you create two-way dialogue and how do you give your employees a voice? And not just a voice, but listen and make them act, help them to be actively involved in designing what it is that is going to help them be successful in their role and what it is that's going to help them to be successful in delivering on the brand promise. And you know, as the pandemic hit and everyone were remote overnight, there was no more important time to deploy those those ways of thinking. And I think the companies who listened to their employees and understood what they needed when they were at home and brought them together and helped which was all what employee experience was about, were very successful. And the ones who either freaked out or thought they knew and had all the answers and tried to impose things on employees were the ones who really suffered. Yeah, definitely a great point. So you know, as a, as a, you know, the successful IPO that Ray referenced, um, you know, I saw in your Twitter feed how you were so authentic, congratulating the founders, speaking to their ethos and big heart. And, you know, there was real affection. I felt like, you know, it, 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 what a great team members talking to each other and celebrating this incredible success. You know, there was an element of the and, and the importance of trust when you talk about listening and and in being engaged and involving and, and being present, it, it's, it's clearly a crucial element in terms of building a, a team that's committed to each other, cares about each other, wants to see holistic success of the whole, you know, the entire, the air family. Um, you know, how do you do that now? Is it, it, it feels like it, it, it's harder for business leaders, managers, um, you know, HR professionals to help guide this remote distributed digital only world that we've been in since March to try to maintain that level of trust that helps build rocket ship companies like Airbnb. Right. What advice do you have for folks that are, you know, that, that are continuing to go through this pandemic, you know, well into next year, unfortunately. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because Brian always talked about how the premise of Airbnb was to use technology to create human connection. And so, you know, our mission at Airbnb was around creating a world where anyone can belong anywhere. And so then our mission of employee experience at Airbnb was how do we create a place where people feel like they belong there at Airbnb. And, you know, one of the things we did um, early on because we realized some people were gonna move on was to start an alumni group, which has now obviously grown, particularly with the unfortunate layoffs that they had to have. But it's been amazing through the pandemic, through the layoffs, and now through the IPO to see how people are coming together and supporting each other and, and really still connected and, and sharing memories and the pictures that are in this in the Slack channel. And the this I'm wearing my, my original Airbnb shirt because the original eStaff's having a raise of a glass over Zoom today. But I think what's happened is there's a lot of technology now that's coming down the pike um, that is helping companies to be able to create connection uh, by using technology within a company. Um, obviously, a lot of companies are using Slack channels to do that. Um, one of the companies I'm also doing some advisory work is called Mixer, M-I-X-R. And they're doing an amazing job of helping to create trust and connections by creating communities. Um, when people were at work, um, they were helping people to create communities in real life and get together in events. And now they're helping to create communities virtually. Um, and so there's a lot of ways in which I think technology is being advanced and, and being used to help create connections and to help build trust and to help build communities. And it's all about creating people to get engaged in those communities and, and being able to speak, um, speak out and share ideas and, and to really find ways to find the people um, that have similar ideas and thoughts. Even like at, at, at the, in the alumni channel, there was one for everyone and then there was a different one for those of us that had uh, options because options are different than RSUs and it got so complicated. But I really wow. am impressed with how, <laughs> how HR 
technology is is using technology to help connections and, and Mixer and Slack and um, others are doing that. It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, you've worked for some of the most amazing companies. I mean, Best Buy, Levi's and Strauss, Gap, you know, and Thompson Technicolor. Um, tell us what makes these companies' cultures great. I mean, you took what you learned, you took it to Airbnb. There's certain things that, you know, are, are there and, and it's beyond the technology. There's certain yeah. things that companies have to do. And, and yeah. what are some of the fundamental principles? Well, so I mean, I think at the core of it, it's having um, either a founder or a CEO who absolutely believes in both um, kind of the whole ecosystem. They believe in the employees, they believe in the customers and the brand promise. Uh, they believe in the community um, around social impact. Mm. And they're thinking about how to create all of those and create an ecosystem that really thrives off of each other. And I think the basis of that is a very clear and compelling uh, mission and purpose. And I think, and then bringing that to life through authentic, unique, um, special values that get translated into behaviors. And then those behaviors become the way that we work with each other, the way you um, interview and select people, the way you assess and performance reviews, the way you thank and appreciate others. And I think kind of the icing on the cake is when you can democratize that culture. And I think one of the things at Airbnb that we did well through the core values interviews or through having social impact champions or diversity champions in each of our offices was to really democratize what made the company special. You know, for, for a long time, people looked at Southwest Airlines as a perfect example of that. They're so geographically dispersed and they're never all in the same place yet whenever you get on one of those planes you know you'll have a good laugh and the, the flight attendants <laughs> and pilots are gonna are gonna have you feeling like like you're part of the southwest airlines family no they do they definitely do that so absolutely that's a great point that's a great our next two guests are forward-looking visionaries uh like yourself disruptors um uh, so, you know, in the theme of like looking forward, what are some of the long-term industry changes do you anticipate as a result of the of the pandemic? And pandemic is just one element of the crises yeah. that, you know, we've faced this year, you know, health, economic, uh, racial and injustice, uh, climate, uh, dissemination of misinformation at scale. So, you know, so many things coming at us. And, uh, and uh, in fact, some uh, uh, attribute... Uh, uh, mental health and well-being to the Airbnb hosts who are tackling, for example, loneliness uh, issues that we face by sharing their, uh, you know, their their homes, uh, but with others. So what are some of the long-term changes that you anticipate uh, as a result of the pandemic? Well, I, I hope that people um, take what worked well and what didn't, and really learn from it. I hope employers are talking to employees about um, how to create and design the future of what things are. I I'm hoping that it's going to be a different way of working, much more fluid, much more hybrid, and that the workplace becomes a place of collaboration and, and community and learning, and there's more flexibility, but not losing the fact that human connection is so very important to the core of how people are engaged and how people are inspired and how you can really align around your mission and your values and your and your promise. So I, I think the future is actually quite bright if we take what we learned and we apply it to to the future of, of work and the future of our lives. I agree, I agree, absolutely. Yeah, this is amazing. You know, this is a great story. Um, now, along with culture, along getting the people right, um, you know, making sure you got great founders. Um, sometimes there are tools that help. Um, what works for you? Like we're certain, you know, we, we've seen this explosion in HR tech, you know, it's over like 350 startups in the space, all different areas from talent to recruiting to managing well-being. Um, any advice for companies in terms of like, what, what kind of technologies have made an impact that are useful for some of the, in all the companies that you've been at or really helps that create competitive advantage? Yeah. So um, one of the things I do is um, I'm an HR advisor with Sempervirin, which is a VC that focuses on HR tech. And so we see a lot of things coming down the pike. 
And a lot of what we try to do is get HR leaders together to talk about what are their problems. And then we go to try to find companies that are solving those problems. And I think probably the mm -hmm. most important thing is to find the technology um, that is going to be utilized, that is easy to use, that sits on top of the other things um, that you're using so it'll be integrated and um, that that becomes part of the way people work. Um, the, the successful ones are the ones um, that have quick adoption that don't need a lot um, to figure out how to use. And the, the ones that don't are the ones that are clunky and have all sorts of friction. Um, I think that the ones that we need most right now are, are like Mixer, the ones that are going to help us to really create connections. Because even when the office is open, we're not going to necessarily physically all be together. And the way we're going to work in the future is very hybrid and very much trying to have everyone feel like they belong, even if they're not physically in the office. And I've worked for a lot of companies where the headquarters was where it was at. And if you weren't there, you were left out. And that, that just isn't going to be the case anymore. It's going to be even harder because you're going to have people completely separated around the world in different time zones. And so I think the most important thing is to, is to find the solution that is going to help you to solve the challenge of connection, engagement, um, trust, belonging, voice. You know, this has been awesome. Really good to have you here. You've actually helped out at companies like Peloton, other companies at Clio. You're the experience advisor. We're here with Mark Levy, experience advisor and pioneer experience leader at Airbnb. More importantly, follow him on Twitter for some great insights at L-E-V-Y-M-A-R-K-J. Thank you for being here, for closing out the year with us with some great advice getting into 2021. Thanks, Ray and Vala. Have a safe, you, sane, healthy, happy holiday. You as well. Thank you, sir. Wow. That was awesome. Uh, you know, literally just removed HR and called it employee experience and transformed a rocket ship. And Ray, when you look at the like the client number to employee, at one point it was like 3 million clients with like seven employees. I mean, to grow and scale uh, to Airbnb to where they are today is amazing. Speaking of like rocket ships, literally, <laughs> speaking of growth, our next guest is Chantel Bear, founder and managing partner at Forspace. That's number four space. Uh, Chantel, founder of Space, uh, Forspace, uh, presents a unique combination of creativity, contacts, and out-of-box thinking. In a nonlinear world that exists today, this type of structure and planning is in, uh, incredibly necessary and important. Forspace is a facilitator and creator of public-private partnerships in the exploration of space. Chantel's leadership is recognized by her service on numerous boards. She currently uh, holds a, a senior executive position at the National Space Society's Board of Directors, serving as director as well as creative director. Chantel also created Spark, space play art, robotics knowledge, educational program, which highlights her drive to impact kids and bring innovation to the forefront of our future. After three successful years at the Ad Astra School, Elon Musk's private school, Chantel believes it will be the children that drive our thriving uh, economics in space. Welcome, Chantel, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much. Hey, welcome. We're excited to have you. We connect. It cannot be a more crazy year for space exploration all over the place. I mean, in the past 24 months, everything's changed in terms of our way to get to space, the privatization, the race that's going on on top. Give us kind of an overview of what's been going on, uh, including this Chinese uh, lunar trip and back. So, Absolutely. So, you know, the pandemic hasn't really slowed anything down in the space industry. We have opened up to the private industry. And when you see um, what the billionaires are doing, such as Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, you know, they're really leading the way right now. And, you know, through pushing technologies that are, you, re, you know, creating reusable rockets, this now allows for us to really push off this earth. Um, we're launching, I believe Elon's launching again today. So we have these new capabilities, yep. you know, just... The amount of launches is amazing, first off. Um, and then you have the amount of eyeballs that are now watching the launches, too, because, you know, for a while during COVID, all the sports and different activities have been shut down. So everybody had their eyeballs on what Elon was doing in sending the first two private astronauts to the space station with a follow-up successful launch of four more astronauts. 
So he's making it look really easy. Um, and then he's now launched the, the starship and with the plans of going to the moon and Mars. And he had a crash, but you know what? It was a very successful test. They've got a lot of data from that and we are going to the moon, Mars and beyond. And you have companies like Blue Origin, who is also sending up payloads, and they've got their new shepherd. They just got announced uh, their new plan. NASA awarded them a contract. Um, and we have different asteroid mining companies that will be going to the moon, uh, uh, testing their, their technologies. And they're going to be drilling for things like water. And we've, we know we have a lot of water up there. And why is it valuable? You know, what is it that we're trying to find? What are we going to try and do? Uh, these are some of the first steps of, you know, searching for water and it will create a, a hub. You know, we're going to send up robots at first and create a baseline. And so then humans are going to come up next and we'll already have water there. Um, China has successfully brought back some samples of the moon and, you know, now they're players, they're players in this game. and. You know, they haven't announced that they want to take over uh, the United States space position or anything like that, but we now have a race going on. And it's a really exciting time. I think this is going to really push a lot of companies to start developing uh, more technologies, rover technologies uh, with these launch capabilities. Now we have an economy that is following uh, the space economy. And that's where I fit in, is really how do you commercialize space and how do you start talking to these hmm. non-traditional space companies? Um, and, you know, and I'd like to just talk for fun, uh, how can you take a company like Salesforce? You know, it was the first ever um, cloud computing company that brought in customers and partners together here on Earth. And through cloud <laughs> computing, we now have, you know, this We've got Elon and Jeff building and going to space and NASA and ESA and they're pushing this economy. So now there's need for a growth to think above the clouds. And you know we've got to bring these space companies together. Um, before we would have the traditional NASA's building the capabilities themselves. Um, but now the, you know we would rather go to Salesforce and utilize their technology in how we can move beyond and start the space computing. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> we need a new mascot. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to an offline conversation to help facilitate as much as I can. And it is an exciting space. You're right. The eyeballs, the amount of just social media activity. You know, on December 9th, when there was the you know, that the crash landing, Elon immediately said, we got all the forensics we needed. This was an incredible learning opportunity. And he tweeted, Mars, here we come. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think his claim is that, you know, within the next six to eight years, we can get to Mars. Uh, what are your thoughts about, and by the way, never bet against Musk is <laughs> my life lesson. Uh, but, you know, what are your thoughts about how realistic it is for us to have these, um, you know, I'm going to say moonshot goals, but we're talking about Mars <laughs> yeah, uh, in terms of, you know, some of the timelines that. Uh, it's really aggressive timelines, but Elon is going to pave the way to go to Mars. And um, you yeah. sent rovers there before. We know it's a harsh environment. Um, and so that's why I'm really encouraging all these other companies to start really working on the spacesuits that we'll need and, you know, where their technologies can help um, with integrating this because we're going and we'll first send up some spaceships and you know we we're going to terraform mars eventually and it's it's at first going to be much like you know going into a territory that is not pleasant um but how can you start that process you know they, we're we're 3d printing different mars simulants right now so that we can send up 3d printers and utilize the soils and the resources that are there um it's one place that's a little tricky because if there's any medical issues, you know, to be able to come back to Earth is going to take oh, a yeah. year round trip. Yeah. So I'd much prefer rather go to the moon, uh, you know, three days up, few days back. And if there was an emergency, you're a lot closer. Um, and I think that's it's, it's just such an exciting time. I think we'll be able to go to the moon and Mars within especially within our lifetime. Um, and so with the Artemis program as well, pushing NASA's wow. the national team, and we're pushing to have the first woman and the next man up there by 2024. 
we might push that back a little bit, but um, you know, it's just such an exciting time. We NASA has announced all the the crew that is training, and you know, I look forward to kind of experiencing these different environments where you'll be able to kind of float around and you know it's a really fun place to be and you know and what about you Ray? have you ever thought of going to the space station or to the moon yeah i'd love to i have a little issue with uh motion sickness <laughs> so <laughs> it might be a little hard uh but you know it'd be oh, awesome so. guy who travels five hundred thousand miles a year you have motion sick. I didn't know that. I you can't get me on a boat. I'll be dead. Wow. I'm not on a cruise ship today, but you know, if you put me on a cruise ship, like it, even that's kind of dicey. Wow. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it, there there is something that is going on. What is interesting is is this global space race that's happening, right? And we are seeing this, and it's actually that competition is actually creating a lot of innovations along the way. Uh, the Chinese with the uh, Chang'e five, um, you know, mission just completed a fully automated landing and moon rock expedition, almost almost like the way we did the Apollo program, um, but in a modern one. Hey, so so were we in this global space race? I mean, is it good? Is it competitive? Is it useful? Is it furthering humanity? Oh, it's definitely competitive. It's and, and, and will it will it will it uh, drive convergence with like will uh, Sir Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk will be will the private sector in it maybe a consortium model uh, you know uh, start to collaborate more, uh, not just public private, but within the private sector itself. Yeah, like ESA versus Blue Origin versus Virgin Galactic versus the Chinese space program. Mm -hmm. um, so what we do have is the national team, which is uh, Blue Origin, Draper, uh, Northrop. Oh, Draper, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but will will they work together with SpaceX and stuff? Um, I'm not too sure about that, but I do know that you know we we can't from the NASA perspective we can't work with China. Um, but it doesn't stop other scientists from working with China. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people that would love to uh, study those rock samples right now. But um, that's one part of the National Space Society platform that I like is we're able to work with China there. And so then, you know, and they've got a long term goal. They're very focused. So they're not going to rush to send a bunch of astronauts there right away. They've got a, a set goal. Whereas our goals kind of keep changing, um, you know, we go from going to the moon and then uh, on. So I think that now we've got a really focused program and we've got our space force that's developed as well. So we, we've really pushed the space force. They're doing some fantastic things and, um, you know, they're, they're really coming together to get there first because there are resources there. And this is a trillion dollar industry going from earth to the moon and back down. As you mentioned, you know, you've got space tourism with Virgin Galactic and you've got a uh, tremendous amount of resources that you can find on asteroids and bring them back. And, you know, this is this is my passion is because we have enough resources in space for a better Earth. And when you can start taking those resources, taking the technologies that are developed and start pushing that through for a better life here. Um, and, you know, you look at something like Starlink is providing uh, internet to yeah. areas that didn't have internet before. And so these things are going to really push uh, our, our society. And when you also take a look at what's going on board Space Station, we have an international commitment there. And the amount of diverse players and stuff and the, the there are no boundaries and you really see that from space station and how we do need to work together more so um how can we make this happen how can we all work sure that's the goal it's amazing to think that 50 percent of the human population still uh, does not have access to the internet or they're not on the internet uh so that's you know 3.6 billion plus people and chantal reference in the national space society you can follow them on twitter at n SS, very active feed with the latest news in terms of space innovation and technology. And so let's talk about for space, um, you know, uh, talk to what is it all about? And, you know, why should traditional companies be interested in space? Uh, perhaps you can answer uh, uh, both of those questions. Absolutely. So ForSpace is uh, one of the first women-owned companies that is exclusively focused on commercializing um, space through public private partnerships. And, you know, when you take a look at all the different companies, 
Um, they have a lot of resources that they can offer into the space industry, as well as the space industry has been developing many different technologies that can help their corporations as well. So things from uh, rapid development, uh, new materials, advanced materials, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to now market, uh, you know, and do advertising campaigns and a lot of different programs to start sponsoring. And some of these wonderful programs that exist within NASA and, you know, Blue Origin and SpaceX and Virgin Galactic, you know, people aren't aware of how they can get involved. And so my company really walks them through the process of, you know, all the different um, projects that already are ongoing, ways that they can support and sponsor and get exposure. Um, and it is, it is a fantastic time right now because years ago, um, you know, you weren't allowed to brand on board the space station. The, you know, and now you're seeing uh, like Nickelodeon doing some fun things with having slime experience. Experiments on the right, right, right. we've got Adidas. Uh, they're developing some really cool things uh, because the way you know microgravity works, we're able to do really neat R and D, and you know also uh, healthcare and medicine and anti-aging properties and stuff. So, how can you utilize those research programs into your company and hit it to the commercial market? And you'll see even makeup brands such as Estee Lauder is now. Uh, getting into a bunch of R and D on board. Wow! Yeah, it's fantastic. No, it's amazing. I mean, slime in space, sponsored by Nick. I mean, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so, what does a Kaleido solution? What does a Kaleido solution look like in space? <laughs> I'm very curious, actually. So, but hey, you let's talk about you. You had a hit session at Constellation Connected Enterprise 2020. Everybody's buzzing about that. Um, and let's ask some questions about you, if you don't mind. I want to talk about meeting Buzz Aldrin. What was it like? I mean, he's one of the legends in space, one of the legendary wow, astronauts. that's awesome. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic. So he's on my board of governors at the National Space Society. And, you know, he'll sit there for 10 hours during our board meetings and stuff. And, you know, just as passionate about going to uh, Mars and beyond as well. And he is fantastic. When you hear, I, I asked him the question, so Buzz. What was it like, you know, when you landed on the moon? And he said, Chantel, this was amazing because you, you land. And as soon as you kind of hit down, he said, this, the soil kind of billows up and it keeps on billowing up. And he said, it starts out like a light gray and then it starts getting a deeper, deeper gray. And then he goes, and it's 50 shades of gray. And so, so I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome <laughs> so he's somebody who has really you know second man on the moon um and how passionate is he is about space this is just, it's fantastic and and that is really for me um the national space society is a wealth of wisdom uh everybody on my board of governors and all the board of directors have amazing stories and and you're able to you know, really learn about space-based solar power. You're able to learn about so many different things because I have on that board people from NASA, ESA, you know, we've got the Moon Village Association. And, and um, so it's just this beautiful gem of history. And then I also have another platform where I've gotten to work with these beautiful kids. And this is a, another uh way that I see the future moving so rapidly. You know, when you've got 12 year old kids that can program uh, different apps that can control drones with just hitting a button within like 12 hours, wow. you know that uh, these are the, the, the kids that are gonna push the future. Um, they're gonna take that knowledge and then find a way to develop it fast. That's amazing, that's amazing. A year and a half ago, I was asked to participate in the first ever uh, student hackathon at the Vatican. Uh, so I spent a week at St. Peter's Basilica. I was uh, 120 students representing about 60 colleges and universities. And you're right. There was a, you know, in a 36-hour hackathon, these kids, and I'm an electrical engineer, undergrad, grad. So, you know, I you know, went to school, become a technologist. I watched these kids in their 20s, early 20s, build these amazing solutions in 36 hours. And it was such a... Like I couldn't do that. I, I, I was trying in my mind. I'm like, if I was back, you know, if I can go back in the time machine, could I actively participate in the hackathon? Are you really hard? I totally agree. Oh, they, Ray, they built like fully functional 
mobile apps, it, you know, GitHub downloading open source and just really creative. Um, you know, so how can, where, where, where do you uh, intersect with, is it kids in K-12? Is it in college, university? Uh, does does Forspace actively have hackathons and programs where you can invite the youth to learn about the, the mystery and beauty of space? Absolutely. Um, so we are working on a hackathon right now that's going to be in February. So if there's a way that you would like to participate and get involved, um, it's Angel Hacks. And, you know, it's, it's a fantastic program. We were going to have it in December and then finals. The kids were having finals and they, they thought, you know, yeah, no, no. <laughs> so we pushed out the date. And there is definitely a way to get involved. And, you know, uh, we're going to do some workshops on space. We're going to do, we do workshops on sustainability. Um, oh, wow. you know, there, there was a fantastic app that they came up with last year, which was finding trash, uh, taking a picture of the trash and it geolocates where it is. And then when you pick it up, you then gain a cryptocurrency, you know? And so, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. What a great, uh, what a great incentive uh, since from last year to this year, you've probably seen over a 10,000 growth in, in uh, cryptocurrency. That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. cool. So this year we're, you know what, I invite you guys to um, talk with me after this because we're working on what are some of the workshops that we can put together for the one upcoming in February. And we open it up to kids all around and now being it's going to be virtual, uh, we'll have that much more. Um, you know, Vala, that sounds like a badge on Trailhead. Think about that. That'd be pretty wild. <laughs> People are listening. That's pretty no, cool. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll definitely look it up for sure. For sure. So, well, hey, this is awesome. I'm here with Chantal Byer, founder, managing partner at Forspace LLC. You can follow our company on Twitter at NSS. So it's uh, it's awesome having you here. Awesome sharing with us on what's happening in the world of space. And more importantly, hey, thank you for speaking at CCE 2020. Uh, it was definitely a hit. So happy Friday. Happy holidays. And thank to you. The Mars and beyond. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Cheers. Wow, what, a, what an uplifting conversation. That was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, all right, well, this is our cleanup hitter spot where we typically have a guest come and hit a grand slam with their incredible wisdom. And uh, our, our, our final guest for the final episode of 2020 is Jay Jacobs, Senior Vice President, Head of Research and Strategy at Global X ETFs. Having joined Global X in 2013, Jay leads the firm's research team, which originates the firm's unique insights on markets and the firm's 70 plus ETFs. Uh, Jay also guides the planning and development of the firm's strategic direction, including conducting analysis of the competitive landscape, growth opportunities, and market entry. Jay, you know, next to Ray, I think Jay is the most often on TV. He's frequently cited expert in the He's financial on media, CNBC, <laughs> Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal. We have a television celebrity with us. Follow Jay on Twitter at JJacobsCFA, J-A-Y-J-A-C-O-B-S-C-F-A. Welcome back, Jay. Your first uh, appearance on Disrupt was uh, December 2017 and in April of 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And so this is your third appearance and we're delighted to have you back. No, Vala and Ray, thanks for having me back. It's uh, it's amazing to watch the show continue to grow and uh, you keep getting better and better guests. I don't know how I'm going to top space right now, but I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> you are. The market's on fire. The retail investors going nuts on Robinhood and they have no clue what ETFs are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yes, I am actually being serious. I mean, we're definitely seeing some uh, interesting capital flows uh, in and out of the markets. And I think that's one of the things that definitely want to talk to you about. You've got over 70 ETFs. Um, where are you seeing the interest? Are, are capital flows going to emerging markets? Are capital flows still going into technologies? Are we seeing a cyclical turn? Um, are we seeing you know people hedging against the dollar, which is definitely happening? We're getting a drop. But but what what are the patterns uh, that might help us think about 2021? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, one of the cool things about having 70 ETFs and access to the data of where the money is going is we can kind of read the tea leaves a little bit of where the market is is seeing a lot of interest and and, and placing their bets. We get a, you know we get a full view of the poker table here. Um, where we've seen the, you know broadly the bets in 2020 is thematic investing. It's investing in disruptive technologies that facilitated this stay at home and now reopening economy that we find ourselves in. Um, you know, from from day one when the lockdown orders hit, 
you know, suddenly people had to implement cloud solutions to allow themselves to work, to have video conferencing, to have access to their data, to have access to applications on demand. While that sounds, you know, maybe obvious to the listeners of the show, that's not, you know, obvious to every single company out there. And so this was a big shift for a lot of businesses. It was a big shift for a lot of employees and consumers. We've obviously seen huge shifts into e-commerce and video games and esports as people have looked to shop and entertain themselves from home. So there's been a lot of shifting around of the you know leveraging of these disruptive technologies to get through this pandemic. We've seen investors you know follow those shifts. Lots of uh, lots of money going into these themes as people are looking to more precisely target the companies that really are best positioned to benefit from the materialization of these trends. Beyond that. Um, we're seeing a lot of interest in the lithium and battery technology space. I think this is uh, perhaps some of the lead up of, of Tesla being included in the S&P 500. Uh, maybe it's just continued declines in battery prices and, and electric vehicles becoming more and more popular. But uh, recently, we've seen hundreds of millions of dollars come into the lithium and battery tech space, as I think people are really ready for electric vehicles to take the next leap. Uh, you know, just for our audience, um, and you can, a very informative website, um, uh, just a definition, thematic growth ETF, ETFs look beyond traditional geographic or sector exposures, targeting companies poised to benefit from structural shifts in disruptive technology, people and demographics in physical environments. And so when you look at the Global X, um, you know, there's about 24 thematic growth categories from robotics and AI, Internet of Things, FinTech, social media, video games, esports, lithium battery technology, cloud computing, autonomous and EV. So just naming some of the 24 categories I saw on the web. So definitely recommend that you, you know, our audience look at the various categories because it's incredibly rich. We said 70, but until you look at the different categories, it, it hits you that, wow, there's so many options and so many vectors in terms of investment opportunities. So Question, with thematic work from home trends, uh, what do you believe are here to stay even after, you know, the vaccines are widely distributed and, you know, based on different categories, if you're not a first responder, healthcare, essential worker, you know, Ray and I may not get a vaccine until oh, March, April, May, June next year. Uh, but what are some we're, of the We're trends? really low on the priority list. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Ray actually is very connected. So who knows? Ray may have already had no, his no, second we're, vaccine. We're really low. We're really low. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> So. But but for me, it'll fall in the middle of next year. Uh, what 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 what's going to stick? Like e-commerce, you know, in my opinion, is just a, such a behavioral change. My parents, 80, 78, are ordering stuff online like there's no business. <laughs> you know, so so I, my sense is there's certain you know home delivery of, for example, groceries and the convenience that it has. You know, is, is something that I think will stick. But uh, you know, I'm interested in your opinion. Yeah, I mean, this is. There's hundreds of billions of dollars at stake about this question. What are the habits that we form during the stay-at-home economy and how much will those stick going forward? Or will we just kind of revert back to how we were living our lives in 2019? The reality is we're starting to see a lot of these habits really stick. Um, and there's some really good reasons why. I mean, first of all, changing habits is very hard, but the stay-at-home economy created this kind of like shaking up of the snow globe where people really rethought their daily lives. And we now have new habits that are ingrained. So it's going to be hard to just, you know, go back to where we were because we're used to wearing sweatpants at work now uh, and other, you know, other things that I'm very accustomed to in this environment. Um, so we're going to have swimming trunks, by the way. It won't show you, but you can I, tell I got swimming trunks on right now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> With that background, I, I hope you are. I mean, after yeah. this, go right to the beach. <laughs> but, it's but a video. It's not like so, you know, e-commerce has reached a new a new consumer now. It's it's not just about you know already hitting consumers that were already very comfortable with it. It's bringing in the silent generation who Amazon never thought about the silent generation as a key demographic, but now they're selling them medicine, they're selling them basic goods, home goods, all these different items. Now that that generation is comfortable ordering online, they've set up their payments, they've set up their shopping carts. It's so much easier to just hit buy over and over again. And for that generation in particular, why not? It's so much easier to get things delivered to your door rather than leave, whether a pandemic's going on or, or, or not. So we see that as being very sticky. If you look at some of the uh, work from home trends, uh, there's obviously huge employers who have now committed to permanent work from home, or at least permanent flexibility about working from home. 
Facebook, Twitter, Square have all said, you know, you can work from home indefinitely even beyond this pandemic. So that's obviously creating a, a sticky shift in the use of, of cloud computing to facilitate that. From the employee perspective, prior to the pandemic, if you asked a millennial, would you like to work from home the majority of a week, three days or more, only about 14% of millennials said they would like that. Now it's 40%. So three times more people are wow. happy to work from home wow. the majority of the week. So not just employer preferences are changing. I mean, employers want to make their employees happy and maybe you know reduce their commercial real estate footprint if they want, if they can. But also the employees want to work from home. So this shows that there's, you know, beyond the pandemic, there's going to be this stickiness to the work from home trend. Some other trends that we think are probably going to be pretty sticky. Um, we've seen telemedicine really take a leap this year. Uh, healthcare providers, while we see amazing things in vaccine development and robotic surgeries and all these cool technologies, healthcare providers, not the most uh, technologically savvy companies in the world, tend to move pretty slowly. So even though telemedicine is not the most sophisticated technology, we're using it right now. We're just not talking about you know our health. We're talking about technology and investing. But this is tele this is effectively telemedicine. Uh, it is going to be rolled out much more broadly following the pandemic as well, as people realize it's reducing costs and increasing convenience. So in a lot of cases, you know, the the case was always there for these technologies. It just took a moment for people to stop what they were doing and try this this new thing, this new option that maybe is cheaper, that's maybe more convenient, that's maybe easier to use. And now that they're doing that, that stickiness is really going to continue into the future. That's a great point, right? I mean, that stickiness on thematic trends is really uh, permeating almost everything we do uh, in terms of uh, investment and our behaviors. Um, but you've also gone and grown out geographically uh, in, in different areas. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like one of the areas that you opened up is European ETF business, right? And from, from afar, right, it looks like the European uh, equities are really undervalued. Uh, and is, is there a recovery coming? Is there something there? Are you anticipating that market picking up as people cycle out of the US equities into Europe on a recovery? Or, um, or is this part of a broader trend that you have in play? Well, there, there's really two things going on. I mean, from Um, you know, we've seen a decade-long bull run in U.S. equity markets dating back to the global financial crisis. We'll just skip over what happened in March and April, which was obviously very volatile. But, you know, the markets recovered from it pretty quickly. And, you know, the long-term chart shows... I know, we're up 40% in the NASDAQ. I mean, it's crazy. So... And, and it's just, it's been so consistent the last few years, the U.S. outperforming foreign markets. And at some point, that pendulum has to swing. If you look right now at, you know, valuations in, in Europe or, or in Asia, they're just significantly discounted to the United States. And in a lot of cases, these markets have done a much better job containing the virus. Uh, China in particular, Japan, South Korea, Singapore uh, have taken more of a containment approach and have been able to reopen more parts of their economy faster than the United States. In Europe, you know, there's certainly been struggles in the UK, but we've seen other uh, countries like Germany get a little bit better of a handle on the pandemic as well. So these economies are just kind of uh, maybe a little bit better set up for 2021 to accelerate into that recovery because they just haven't been as damaged heading into uh, into the new year. So from, from that perspective, we see a lot of investor interest in Europe. The other side of, of opening Global X Europe in, in uh, just in the past couple of weeks here is it's fascinating when you travel around the world and, and talk about things like robotics and talk about e-commerce. These are borderless trends. This isn't a this isn't a U.S. trend. This isn't a European trend. This is happening around the world simultaneously. So when we talk about thematic investing, there's very little differences around the world. They're all going through the same things right now. The the appeal of thematic investing, the appeal and the disruptive impact of these themes is not just happening in one location. It's happening simultaneously. So we just see a lot of investor interest from Europe in these themes because they're doing the same thing. They're ordering online. They're playing video games. They're, they're teleconferencing. They're doing telemedicine. Uh, and so we're just very excited to be able to bring these themes to a new market where we see them as being just as powerful as the United I mean, States. you you hit two hot ones, video games and esports and telemedicine and digital health. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't get even more crazier than these two sports. I mean, esports is going like crazy. So. Well, and esports is another great example of what happened during the stay-at-home economy. I mean, there was there was no live sports. There was no, let's call them real sports. Sorry. There was no like live physical sports happening. People were looking for something to entertain themselves. And when you hear that Kevin Durant is going to go play NBA 2K20 online, 
and you're an NBA fan, you're probably going to watch. Uh, if you are an F1 fan and seeing your favorite drivers race each other online, you're probably going to watch that. And so it brought a lot of people into this world who otherwise maybe would have been a little more hesitant. And once you're brought into that world, it's so much easier to keep watching, to evangelize it with friends, uh, and to really kind of join that that new community. So this, you know, the stay-at-home economy is as challenging as it was. It really did accelerate a lot of these trends by giving people a new opportunity to experience them. Sure, sure. Uh, Jay, you, you know, you we've talked about the pandemic is obviously a m massive driver in terms of uh, uh, a, a source of disruption this year. Uh, another big change next year is a new administration. Uh, you have a new president-elect. And uh, what are your thoughts in terms of markets that stand to benefit most with, uh, with a, a Biden-Harris administration? Yeah, so Biden's been pretty clear since the beginning that his key policy that he wants to get through is a $2 trillion infrastructure package. And he defines infrastructure very broadly. Uh, this is not just paving roads and highways and creating new seaports and airports. Infrastructure also includes mitigating climate change. So the build out of renewable energy, solar and wind power, uh, carbon capture, reducing carbon emissions and rejoining the Paris Accords. Biden's even set a target of carbon neutrality in the US by 2050. Uh, it also means digital infrastructure. So the build out of data centers, cellular towers, fiber optic networks to be able to bring high speed, low cost internet to not just urban centers, but around the country. So it's this really broad kind of meaty definition of infrastructure. Um, Depending on what happens in the Senate races in, in Georgia, he might face uh, more opposition from the GOP in a big spending bill in addition to the $2 trillion CARES Act we saw this year and, and probably another you know trillion dollar fiscal stimulus here uh, in, the, in the waning days of 2020. So there might be some kind of pullback in, in, in how much uh, fiscal spending we see in 2021, but this is the top of the Biden administration's priority list. And even if they don't pass a major uh, fiscal spending bill on these items around infrastructure, there's still a lot that Biden could potentially do through executive orders and appointments. So he's he has a chance to set up a government. He's got to put new people as the head of the EPA. Uh, he's putting Buttigieg as the head of uh, the Department of Transportation, uh, who he puts in FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. All these people hold a lot of influence on a huge amount of bureaucracy and how much uh, they uh, put in place new regulations and how they enforce them, as well as they manage very large budget budgets and how they spend those budgets is going to impact uh, the economy as well. So again, infrastructure, clean tech and climate change and digital infrastructure are really those three areas where uh, we're going to see uh, probably a lot of prioritization from the Biden administration. I, I, I'd like to yep. see him appoint Andrew Yang as Secretary of Innovation or Digital Transformation. Bring some tech-savvy, <laughs> you know, uh, entrepreneur uh, and, and really have someone to... I think he's running to, for Mayor of New York, I thought, last time. I know, I know, so, but, but I think Secretary of Digital would be, I think it would be more good. But yeah, I, I did hear that. He's I think he's running for mayor, but yeah, but you know, you raise a great point, Jay. Actually, um, you know, there the you know the there's a lot of spending coming, and there's a lot of deficit spending, and we're seeing a lot of uh, an accommodative Fed coming through. So if you're coming down that contrarian angle and playing the markets, um, what's the ETF that I should be thinking about? Where I think the dollar the dollar continues to drop, um, deficits kind of become back, inflation might come back into play. How about a hedge in that scenario? Well, so if you see a massive fiscal stimulus bill, it's probably going to benefit virtually all equities. So that's the good news. If you're holding stocks right now and, and Congress passes a trillion dollar bill, um, that's going to be pretty supportive. Although if you look today, the markets are selling off a little bit. So maybe there's a little bit more. Yes, they are actually. <laughs> a little bit. The, a second little bit. Thing, <laughs> the second thing is monetary stimulus. So whatever Congress is or is not able to pass, we still have the Federal Reserve in the United States who is committed to having basically zero interest rates until 2023. Yep. What that does to equities is it means that bonds yield so little that people don't want to own bonds. They move more money into equities and equity valuations go higher. So that's why we're seeing pretty rich uh, equity valuations in the United States. Um, so as long as the Fed remains very supportive of, uh, of monetary policy, that can also be very supportive of the markets. Uh, but what we're also seeing is this kind of shift in the, in the U.S. dollar. So the dollar depreciated about 10% this year. Uh, that's a pretty big deal in the currency world because just like the U.S., equity markets went through a 10-year bull run. The US dollar pretty much went through a 10-year bull run. Great if you're traveling abroad and buying things, but other than that can be, you know, can be a challenge for certain reasons. The weakening of the dollar usually happens because 
the government is spending more than it's collecting. You have a weak U.S. economy and Fed and interest rates are, are yielding very little. All of that seems to be pretty clear heading into 2021 that that would continue. So if the dollar continues to depreciate, that means things denominated in other currencies are relatively appreciating. So that's another case for looking outside the U.S. for uh, for investments like we were talking about with Europe and Asia. Purely just a depreciating dollar can provide a tailwind to those overseas exposures. So we are seeing. I'm not putting words into. I'm not putting words into Jay's mouth, but Bitcoin ETF. I see. <laughs> so just kidding, but it's crypto, crossing twenty thousand, right? So crypto gold ETFs are actually gold hot. And precious metals. So and gold. there's there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to play this, but I think in particular, um, looking overseas uh, at equities are probably going to do very well next year if we see a, a depreciating U.S. dollar and a recovery, a faster recovery in places like Asia where they've just been better better uh, set up uh, during this pandemic. This is awesome. Awesome advice from Jay Jacobs, you know, Ray, senior Jay, vice Jay president. One of those, one of those, he's one of those guests where I watched the, you know, I watched the interview again because there's such gold nuggets of wisdom he just casually drops in, in, in his answers. Really, thank you. Awesome, awesome interview. Go ahead, Ray, I know you were. No, no, this is awesome. We're with Jay Jacobs, SVP Head of Research and Strategy at Global X ETFs. Um, learn more from him as well and how investors can get to ETFs through model portfolios. Learn more about the thematic approaches that they've taken. I think it's really been a great way to look at ED ETFs. Uh, and more importantly, follow him on Twitter at Jay Jacobs CFA. Thanks a lot for being on the show. So I really Thanks appreciate your back, wisdom guys. and invite. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much, Jay. Uh, Ray. All three guests, amazing. Uh, this was a really great I, final episode I, of 2020. I can't believe they let us have them on. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's been wonderful. Uh, it was the, it, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, no, it's, it's been a wonderful year. We've had amazing guests. Um, and really, you know, I, I didn't know what you thought of the uh, overall year as well as our guests. I mean, You know, as, as we mentioned, you know, I, I think we mentioned at the beginning, this was our 217th episode in four years. We've had 667 interviews. So we, there's a large body of work. But when we look at this year, you know, close to 150 some odd interviews, um, the, our two most popular shows uh, in terms of viewership, Tom Peters uh, uh, garnered 162,000 views. Uh, when he was gracious to have our second Disrupt TV episode with us this year. First one was back in 2018. And then Jim McKel McKelvey, the founder of Square, we had 123,000 views when Jim talked about Square beating Amazon in their own game and lessons to entrepreneurs, which was uh, incredible. So those are the two most uh, viewed shows we had. Some of the more memorable interviews, and it's so hard to pick. This is like asking a parent for a favorite child, you know, because uh, I just think the last three interviews we had could be candidates for most memorable. But we had former Prime Minister of Australia, Malcolm Turnbull, and his wife, um, who was the first uh, female mayor yeah, of Sydney Lucy, yeah. on our show, Lucy Turnbull, Honorable Malcolm and Lucy. And they were extraordinary. We had the longest uh, Canadian Parliament member, Mark, Mike Lake, who's been serving in the Canadian Parliament for over 15 years. He was exceptional because he talked about his relationship with his son. And you know, being a father and 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 what matters really in life. Um, we had Carol Goldwyn, uh, you know, founder of Hint. You know, I, I, there's a Hint with me all the time. <laughs> so it was amazing to find, you know, speak to the founder. You are a Hint household. One of the brands that my family enjoys. Yeah, we're a Hint household. So it was great. And Carol, with our new book, really shared a lot. Uh, we had a number of Thinkers 50 guests: Don Tapscott, Whitney Johnson, Oscar. Oscar uh, uh, Alex Osterwalder, Tiffany Boba, you know, these are some of the world's top minds who come on our show. I don't think any other show that covers enterprise technology has uh, so many thinkers 50. Uh, and of course, industry titans, you know, Crawford Del Pret, president of IBC, Paul Doherty, group CEO, CTO of Accenture, 273,000 people work for Paul in a 505,000 employee company. Constellation team, all of your VPs were guests and hosts. Uh, so I have to thank the Constellation team. And, you know, some of our long John Reed, time John Reed and Larry uh, Dingen, yeah. yeah. John Reed, Larry Dignan, Heather Clancy. Heather Clancy, all, uh, yep. Uh, founders of media companies 
editors, uh, yeah, Green Biz editor, Heather Clancy. So, you know, again, so many memorable shows this year. We're going to do our best, Elle, uh, Ray, and I, to make 2021. It's going to be one of the best years. And, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. It's going to be it's going to be an amazing year. So, Ray, please, your closing remarks. No, I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait till uh you know, we're back on the show January 8th. Uh, we're going to have some awesome guests. We'll talk about that a little bit. And, uh, you know, always looking for great guests, great voices to be heard. If you think of something that we're missing, uh, people that we should be talking to, topics that we haven't even talked through, let us know. This is Disrupt TV, and uh, we're about to do episode 218. Who do we have on for episode 218? Yeah, so for the next two weeks, we're off the air. And again, January 8th, we come back to launch 2021. We have Aaron. Right. Aaron Murray, our Chief Digital and Information Officer at Dell. And then um, I think, Vala, you're breaking up a little. We've got Angela Yoakum. Uh, so. Go ahead. We've got Angela Yoakum, the EVP and Chief and, and Digital and Technology Nasta. Officer at Novant Health, and John Nasta. So that's our lineup. Those three guests, episode 218. Super excited. Yeah, so this is going to be great. So, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. If it's Friday, Disrupt TV, thanks a lot. Have a great holiday season and happy new year to everybody and good riddance to 2020. <laughs> so, bye, everyone. <laughs>